Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by Tell Me Studios for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm Fraser McGrewer and I'm here with Peter Coghill, Nick Hare and Chris Ragg of Aleph Insights. And this week we're talking about microtransactions. Nick, why are we talking about microtransactions? Well, there's a recent internet controversy, uh, a storm, an internet storm of outrage. So a company called EA, uh, who are a very successful computer game company, um, very successful but widely despised, um, produced a game called Battlefront 2, which is a sort of Star Wars-themed fighting game where you wander around and, you know, you're a stormtrooper or you're Darth Vader and you're fighting people. Um, And it's full price. I think it was $60 or something for this game. But it turns out that in the game, there are microtransactions where you can uh, effectively spend more real money to have a chance of getting um, better stuff, right? So you, you might get an upgrade to a, to a cooler character, like you might, you might get uh, Darth Vader or, or whatever. A longer, what, longer lightsaber. Yeah, stuff like that. And, um, and I'd quite so, like a longer lightsaber. Yeah, but anyway, yeah indeed. Uh, but so, so uh, people I think there are who, other solutions. People who... Uh, People, people who um, you know want to play the game uh, but not spend extra money on it are kind of annoyed that other people who've got loads of money to burn can immediately get themselves, as it were, levelled up, you know, and be able to fight in better battles simply because they've got extra money. So that that's the anyway the the, the outrage uh, kind of intrigued me because you know most people's reaction you might think would be. Um, well, uh, you know, just don't buy the game. Fine. Now you know there's microtransactions in it. Don't buy it. But people, I think, have uh, microtransactions is one of those things that exposes that we sort of, under certain circumstances, don't seem to like the idea that firms are trying to get money out of us. Um, so that's that's my question, really, is why 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 do we react that way, almost with a moral outrage, mm. um, we, rather than just saying, well, this is a product I don't like? Because we don't get annoyed with Coca-Cola. Um, for charging us money to buy a, a, can, a can of fizzy. no, we, we, people people were happy to have coin op machines. You know, back in the old days, where you'd put in, you'd have to pay extra ten p's to continue playing your game. You know, to some extent, people are happy with uh, foot, football teams being able to, you know, the rich ones being able to buy better players and being more likely to win. Um, it's it's not it's totally not uncommon that you know people with more money get a better experience people have first class uh tickets on trains which are more expensive you know it's just a part of life but in certain circumstances we almost expect something egalitarian to happen and and i just sort of wonder why so let's explore that question why is it that in this particular situation we expect something that's more egalitarian uh peter I think it's probably that um, computer games traditionally you you buy one-off cost and that EA that, that Battlefront Two is a, what they call a prime a, a premium game. It's sort of the forty fifty pound mark. Uh, you expect you, you you there's an expectation, uh, a historical expectation. If you buy something, you then own it and it's yours. And uh, there 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 isn't an expectation after that to pay more money to keep using it. But of course, the, it is voluntary. I mean, EA would say you don't have to spend that money. You can still enjoy what you get. But also, sorry to interject, I think one difference here is let's say you get for free um, a, a, a game on your iPhone um, that's app-based and you expect you to be given, uh, you expect there to be given options for you to buy extra stuff because you recognise that, okay, well, I've got this for free, but I recognise this company's got to make money somehow. Okay, this is how they do it. What seems to me 
and I would feel this is a bit out of, out of order, is that if I spent 40, 50 quid on a game, well, I've spent that, so why should there also be on top of that? So- yeah, but it's, it's voluntary. And I, I mean, you're right, this has come from the mobile market and microtransactions. I, don't, I know we don't want to get too heavily into the whole uh, economics of microtransactions, but they, they're only about seven or eight years old, microtransactions, and they, exactly, they arose exactly because of that, because people didn't want to spend $2 on a full mobile game. They wanted to download a supposedly free game and then they would potentially spend hundreds of dollars more on add-ons and extras and, you know, and uh, little bits of advantage. And, and firms, of course, you know, have absolutely gone to town on microtransactions. In fact, you know, something like 50% of the revenue of a game is from about 0.2% of the players. So, you know, it's kind of geared towards these what are known as whales, i.e. very big fish, people who are going to pay hundreds of dollars to play uh, a game. Is, is there... Um, Just is, by the way, a whale isn't a fish. But anyway, let's go on. But, <laughs> you tell that to the people in Vegas who made the term up. <laughs> um, is, there, is there an element uh, of why it's seen as um, underhand in some way? Is, is it about the expectation of parity in, in a competition. So you sort of said, well, yes, look, Man United could spend more money on their football players than, you know, another team. But fundamentally, uh, relative competition in, in those um, sorts of settings, you're expecting uh, people... It's not, it's not like uh, the other team then have to tie their shoelaces together to play or, or that uh, Manchester United get two balls to play with or or something something along those lines that that human to what's being what you're trying to, to compete on is human skill in the in the game in the endeavor and the fact that somebody can bypass that by getting better equipment i mean it's one thing to have a better tennis racket but it's another thing to have you know a star destroyer rather than a than a land speed or no but it's not in the context of this game it really is more like the tennis racket thing you know people who can buy a better tennis racket are going to do better at tennis despite their skill levels if we were really if we wanted to make it egalitarian we'd force people to use the same tennis racket now why do we not get too worked up about that why well i suppose i suppose it's more like actually the comparison with formula formula one is probably the where you know, a lot of people don't engage with that as a sport because of the disparity, because so much of it is not about the skill of the the, the driver. I mean, obviously, they're all highly skilled, but the differentiating factors are the the cars yeah, yeah, and the technology. The of money in it. Um, but I, I, th- I, no, I think I think this is uh, probably Formula very... One is not a race. It is not a racing uh, event. Formula One is an engineering event. So it's the person with the most money back in the team is going to win because they can afford the best engineers the best technology so therefore why do we feel okay with that in in formula one but we don't feel okay with that in in a game that we've purchased yeah so just before we answer that just to seal off this sort of issue of microtransactions because i think that's very close to an analysis of where that reaction comes from but it's interesting that ea games have, have made a lot of money off this model and they're universally loathed and at the same time highly successful their, their share price has gone up by something like a, a factor of nine in the last five years um so something weird's going on right um who wants to come in on something here peter I haven't heard from you in a while uh, yeah well i think I, I think there's a part of it is to do with the opacity of business that that, that, that you may not fully realize that uh the, micro, the microtransactions are going to be a, a as bigger thing is until you've bought the game so you're already vested in it um and uh you've then you find you find these the, the noobs come along with their extra long lightsabers and 
you get you 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 lose a bit of social standing in losing out to people who just got more money. So it's I think it's sort of the the, the, the it's it's that. But also, and I think there's also um, people don't like finding out about things that they hold near and dear. So the people really like Battlefront game and Star Wars, and so they've it's been tainted by this sort of this uh, underhand practice. And I think another, another example I want to sort of segue into is the um, uh, Paper Chase Daily Mail debacle um, that, uh, that Paper Chase uh, ran some promotional ads in, in, in Daily Mail um, and uh, it was derided on social media as, as a result. And I think there's a, there's a parallel here because... Wait, hold on. Can you explain that a bit more? So Paper Chase is a, is a um, stationary company, stationary isn't it? Stationary company, yeah, pro- doing small gifts and, and greetings cards. Um, so tell me, what, what was the promotion and why was there a... Um... So, they, so, well, they, 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 ran, they ran some promotional ads in Daily Mail, um, which is, a, which is a, a, a red-top paper in the UK and uh, often derided um, for its particular sort of political stance on things. Um, and uh, there was an outpouring, uh, not a huge outpouring, but an outpouring on social media of people of paper chase customers um, saying this is terrible. I'm not a Daily Mail reader. I don't agree with anything they say. Uh, and oh, then okay. uh, paper chase um, um, stepped back and and um, and uh, cancelled the promotion. Um, now I think they probably did it for good reasons. They they've probably done their analysis and worked out that actually they've got quite a lot of customers who read their mail and. Doing a deal, a big deal with the Daily Mail for this this promotion would get them more customers, um, so it backfired. But there was it. But I think it's the, I think it's the sort of lifting the lid on big business is is part of the objection to this. How how but these why, big deals why are made do, why between do, big companies. Why should anyone give a shit about where? the company they're buying a card from advertises I th- and i think you know you can ask the question of well there's lots of companies who advertise in the daily mail why do people get worked up about uh paper chase and i think it comes from the fact that paper chase has a sort of fluffy kind of friendly image it, it, it is sort of the branding of the shop is is one of those slightly kind of 90s you know third space come in and browse our cards and you know they don't have coffee shops in in paper chases but you can imagine them having coffee shops in paper paper chase and it's all very sort of you know crafty and and sort of nice and and people see the Daily Mail as very much the opposite of many of those yeah, things. Yeah, and and it's interesting that people have a certain attachment to the Paper Chase brand, which means you know if 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 Bofors advertised their armored personnel carriers in in um you know in the Daily Mail, no one would mind. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think I think this comes down to um you know what what constitutes uh brand loyalty or what constitutes um sort of people's investment in a, in a brand and a lot of it comes comes down to um the, you know that you feel they reflect your values you know you feel the the company and the products reflect your values and when uh when that is shown not to be the case uh it affects people's emotional attachment to a particular product or or service provided by them um, you know, it's it, 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 there's an element of group identity. If you look at you know, sort of Apple uh, fanboys and Apple fan girls, you know, there, there is a there is a group identity about that. It it represents uh, values. You know, it it may be um, personified in in a particular you know business leader like Steve Jobs or or somebody like that. But the, the, there's a sense of being part of a group. And when something discordant with that group mentality comes in. Um, it's it 
causes controversy. It, sh- it shakes, you know, shakes the system up and uh, can cause quite a visceral reaction. Yeah, there's, and I think there's a certain bunch of brands which, uh, it, it, well, they'd be different for Britain and the US, for example. But in Britain, I think there are brands like Marmite and HP Source, um, uh, you know, which we we sort of feel very attached to and Cadbury's and whenever there's this the story the inevitable story that some foreign company has taken over you know I think HP Source is now produced in in Holland or something there's this sense of outrage well look at the the Cocoa Pops and uh, Choco Krispies fiasco Um, Uh, all right what tell us more what happened (laughs) well so um, Cocoa Pops is a is a, a a British branded breakfast cereal, but it's made by Kellogg's, so it's not as if it ever pretended to be British. But um, and it's uh, they're so they're so chocolatey they even turn the milk brown. Exactly, uh, and they've got a nice monkey who advertises them, and so on and so forth. Mm. Uh, and in the sort of mid nineteen nineties, I think they um, they were changed to be in line with the US branding for the identical product, Choco Krispies. <gasps> uh, exactly, and there was a huge a huge you know reaction against this and. Um, um, uh, you know, in a in a landmark case of of consumer rights, the um, the name was changed, and that was before Twitter. That was before yeah. Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, that actually reminds well, me, kind of in a reverse of that, or, or not quite reverse, but I remember was it in the eighties or nineties that in America, um, well, not just in America, but um, Coca Cola. They came up with a new, a new kind taste, of Coca Cola yeah. that was called Coca Cola Original or something. I can't no, remember. Co- yeah, co- new Coke. So this was the. This is a very famous. I mean, business studies people the look at this. Yeah, well, and I think this. There's an element to which. So the things I've described about. Um, about Marmite and HP Source. I think in the US, you could say the same things about brands like McDonald's and Coca-Cola. Surprising as it might seem to us, because we see those companies as very mercenary. Uh, in the US, they're held with quite a lot of affection. And yeah, they brought out uh, a product called New Coke, which after lots and lots of consumer tests, you know, they'd worked out was tastier than cl- classic Coke. They phased out the old Coke and brought in the new Coke. And uh, there was absolute horror and outrage. And, um, and to the extent that that Coke then brought the old Coke back as classic Coke and phased out new Coke. And there were some conspiracy theories that they'd done it deliberately so that they get publicity. But um, mm. but yeah. OK, so I think, you know, the fact is that we, there are these brands that we have feel like we have relationships with. And they are not. I think there's a, there's an interesting uh, th- uh, idea in in um, uh, psychology, social psychology, which is the um, uh, the relational models theory, which uh, a guy called Alan Fisk came up with, where he said there's f- sort of four kinds of ways that you can relate to to other people in in groups. So you have communal sharing, which is like a family, uh, or when you're in a restaurant, you're going to split the bill, where you you just accept that you're all just you know going to share stuff, and no one's trying to keep tabs. Then there's authority ranking, where you have a kind of linear hierarchy, um, where you expect the guys at the top to get the stuff and to give stuff to you. So that would be like uh, bosses and workers. Uh, equality match where you're uh, which is getting slightly more towards the mercenary end where you're keeping track of the difference in some way so that would be things like bu- buying rounds in a pub or taking turns at you know uh, using a computer game or something and finally you have market pricing which is the the relationship where you are there is an absolute set type of exchange and both parties um, you know uh, stick to that and you pay the money and the shopkeeper gives you the goods and what I think we could analyze this as is is that people enter into market pricing relationships, but while they're doing it, often they want it to feel like a communal sharing relationship because that's nicer. So 
when you you know you ask why do pubs feel like houses why do restaurants feel like houses you know why does a school feel like a family a private school feel like a family they're all just businesses but they want you to they don't want you to feel they want to remove the sense that you're that you're involved in a market pricing relationship because they know that people are actually after a communal sharing relationship and I and I think this might explain, you know, how where these sorts of it's, there's a sense of violating a kind of relationship. Mm. And, um, you know, the example that's often used is if you went around to someone's house for dinner and uh, then you offered to pay them at the end of the evening, they would be offended because that you've misunderstood the kind of relationship you're in. I've actually had that happen to me in reverse. And I was really annoyed, which was a, a friend um, invited us around a bunch of people around to their house. Um, and he's quite a wine connoisseur and had laid on lots of different wines for us to to taste um and it was and that was more what was driving the evening it turned out rather than eating a meal and then the next day presented us all with a bill for the wine that we had drunk which i thought i thought i thought was quite suitably outraged at and uh but paid anyway <laughs> rather than cause a fuss are you sure he was a friend not a restaurateur <laughs> <laughs> no but i think that's a good that's a good analogy uh, to perhaps how people feel when they're in a relationship with someone who's making uh, them a game, a computer game, you know, to sort of feel like, oh, God, this guy's charging me. Mm. Uh, whereas I, I want him to want me to like to play the game and I don't mind giving him some money. But, you know, yeah, so... It'd, it'd be interesting. I mean, we need to wrap up, but just very briefly and very briefly turning, going back to the original point, I just wonder if it'd be interesting if you could do a generational analysis of, of people who would be happy or unhappy about getting charged on microtransactions if you could take okay. slots of, of two years of people at a time um, but I, I, I want to wrap up but before I do uh, I want to talk about brands and affinity to brands um, on a personal basis um, can you name a name one brand that you're particularly um, you feel a, a particular affinity to and why I've got one in my head I'm ready to go but I don't know if anyone's got one Peter you I mean, I, 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 well, I'm a huge fan of Wikipedia as a thing you might not think of it as a brand but that I, I i honestly think if i was going to nominate a sort of wonder of the world wikipedia would be top of my list so are you going to pay because are you, are you getting served with loads of, of yeah they seem to be on a bit of a uh splurge at the moment to try to generate a bit of funding because they're running out of money uh, and you're going to give have, some i have paid in the past i have paid small amounts in the past oh. and i will probably again as a sort of charitable donation um I see it as being such an enormously powerful resource. And I, and I think it's one of those, I would compare it to something like the NHS being free at the point of use um, kind of thing that's extremely uh, important. In, mm. in one yeah, way. I think everyone ought to donate to Wikipedia now if you've used it at all. Think about how much you'd have to pay if that was a, a book, you know. So you already have donated as well? Yeah, I do every year, every time okay. the, the nag comes around. Yeah. Right, I'm impressed. Uh, Chris, brand? Uh, probably Monster Munch. I think it would be for me. <laughs> and uh, I and I think you want to feel that the people at Monster Munch HQ are kind of zany flavour professors who do it for the pleasure of it and go right. Here's here's oh we come up with a new exciting Monster Munch. It would be horrible to think that Monster Munch was designed by focus groups, yeah. well, wouldn't they, it? They, they they are produced by monsters, aren't they? I thought that was the whole yes, point. They of are. Yeah, okay, they absolutely you. are. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Nick. Yeah, well, um, you're holding one right now. Uh, my One of my favourite brands is the Mitsubishi Pencil Company, who make a pen called uh, Uniball Eye. And uh, it's absolutely brilliant. It fulfills all my pen needs. And they're very sort of unobtrusive, the Mitsubishi 
fishy pencil company and i like to imagine that it's run by uh, japanese pen artisans who spend hours assembling each pen with some with a sort of water feature trickling away in the background and uh you know i know it's not like that but i you know i feel like um that they just are really really good and that's the only marketing they need and can you only become a designer if your father and before him his father yeah it's it's a 900 year old business i like to think Yeah. yeah Um, my brand is Brompton Bicycles. Um, oh. I really like them because um, they do seem to appeal to that quintessentially British side of things in this sort of wonderful engineering. And if anyone doesn't know, they're folding and unfolding bicycles and just they're technologically very innovative. Um, and they've got a beautiful design to them well, as well. They, and- they sort of are and they sort of aren't innovative because they haven't really changed. The design. They've tinkered with the design, but they nailed it about 15, 20 years ago. And it's not changed since. Right. Okay. But I mean, that in itself, in the first place, was yeah. quite innovative. A bit like the Mitsubishi space, the, the, the Mitsubishi um, pen. That, that, that's not changed uh, for fifteen years or so. Yeah. Uh, they got it right. They don't need. They don't need designers anymore. They just churn out the same thing mm. over and over again. So mm, it'll yeah. be a and create factory. brand loyalty in order to. Um... Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. I'm Fraser McGrewer. We've been here with Chris Rag, Nick Hare, and Peter Coghill of Aleph Insights, and you've been listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. Thank you, and until next time, bye bye. <laughs>